Welcome to Light Trees and News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. Listen, it's your host, Allison Kilkenny. How are you? I hope you're thriving. I hope you're having a magical weekend. One of uh, reprieve, restfulness, and productivity or not. Maybe you're being productive by not being productive. Good on you. Fuck capitalism. Am I right? You're not a fucking cog in the machine. Don't do shit. And if anybody tries to make you do shit, come at them with the full force of your human dignity. What am I saying? Hi, everybody. Um, Listen, due to a combination of um, various emergencies, moving, uh, other obligations, I don't have a co-host this episode. I'm flying solo. Might be flying solo for the remainder of the month. We'll see. Everything's sort of up in the air right now. Um, I did promise you all a bonus episode with Charles over at my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. That also had to be rescheduled due to life circumstances out of our control, completely out of our control, out of our hands. So we will reschedule when we have the opportunity, but I just wanted to give you an update about like what's going on. I don't know if you guys know this, but 2020 is a dumpster fire. And I sort of think it's sweet when people are like, man, I can't wait for this year to be over. (laughs) Once we get into 2021, things are just magically going to resolve themselves and fix themselves. And um, I don't know a way to say, you know, that's not going to happen, right? So I just smile and I nod and I tactfully change the subject. But um. You guys know that's not going to happen, right? You guys know because you listen to this show and you're like, (laughs) Allison, how could things possibly repair themselves in 2021? You're right. Regardless of the outcome of the election, you are correct. But um, before we get into all that, the inevitability of um, the inevitable... I wanted to talk about pop culture stuff because we are in the pop culture section. But before I even get to that, you guys, I'm a little sleepy this Saturday afternoon because um, I haven't been getting a lot of rest because things are a little tense in my homestead right now because um, I ran out of uh, the treats that Penny likes So I came up with the bright idea. Oh, Penny, if you're new to the show, I have two little cats, Desmond and Penny. They're brother and sister. They terrorize me every day. And the little girl, Penny, is um, the greatest villain of our time. And she's so scary. I love her. She's so scary. And I live in fear of disappointing her. So you can imagine my horror when I realized I ran out of her favorite treats in the world, Um, and I was like, oh shit, I'm going to have to order more. And because don't worry, she's so high maintenance. This isn't something I could go to like Rite Aid for. I have to special order this shit for Miss Penny. So I was like, all right, she's just going to have to wait a few days. You don't tell Penny to wait a few days. So she's staring at me. I'm like in the kitchen and she's sitting there and she's staring at me, which is her way of communicating. I am about to ruin your life. So I was like, shit, what do I do? I'm out of her treats. So I come up with the bright idea. She's a dumb little cat. What if I just feed her her normal dry kibble that she has for like lunch, but like in small little handfuls so she thinks it's like special and it must be a treat. So believe it or not, this seems like the dumbest idea ever. It works. It fucking worked for like two days. I was just feeding her her normal kibble like treats and she would freak out the same way, gobble it up the same way. No hint on her face that she's registering, that I'm tricking her, nothing. And I'm like desperately just trying to be cool around her where I'm like, okay, it's working. Holy shit, it's working. Don't give the game away. Desmond, meanwhile, arguably the dumbest cat who's ever lived. I love him, but oh my God. The first night I had him, he fell behind the dresser. It was a whole thing, but like 
He's very dumb, very clumsy. Desmond instantly knew I was hustling them and just sat there looking at me like, bitch, I'm not that simple. So weirdly, Penny was the dum-dum in this situation. So the other day, I'm like bragging on Twitter about how I'm fooling her. She's such an idiot. I look over and she's staring at me. And I'm like, oh, no, she knows. She knows. Like, I, I posted the photos on my Twitter. Would you guys, do you follow me on Twitter? Twitter.com slash Allison Kilkenny. I'm not creative when it comes to my handles. If you're ever like, what's Allison's handle on Instagram? It's Allison Kilkenny. Where's her fan page on Facebook? It's Allison Kilkenny. I'm sorry, okay? I don't come up with clever names. Get off my shit. So I look over, she has completely registered reality and is just staring at me. And I'm like, oh my God, my life is over. She's going to torture me all night. She's just going to scream and cry. Luckily, I like desperately started looking through the kitchen and I found a very old bag of treats. She liked it I, I gave her some I, like they're still safe like I'm not poisoning my cat um and she seems happy right now but holy sh- I am just like walking on pins and needles I anytime I walk by her I'm like hello madam like being overly formal with my cat I'm in a lot of trouble is what I'm saying so I'm feeling a little tired if you've been following me on Twitter You know that Penny in her old age has gotten very specific with her diet. She only eats fresh tuna now. She will eat nothing else and her special treats. And if I don't have that shit at the ready, my life is over. So I'm a little tired because I wasn't getting a lot of sleep because I was like, she could kill me. And I know that sounds like an exaggeration, but if you know Penny... You know that's not a huge exaggeration. She might kill me. So if there's ever a few weeks where there's no new episode, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that my cat has murdered me. So I just want us all, I want to be on the record as having said that. Please play this in court when Penny is being prosecuted for murder, when they put her in whatever the cat version of The Hague is. And she's sitting there and she's denying it because of course she will play this. I want her to hear my voice. I know you killed me, you little bitch, and you're not going to get away with it. All right, let's move on. So y'all see the trailer for Dune? Come on. Here's the thing, you guys, because on this show, I make fun of Christopher Nolan fanboys a lot, even though I identify as a Christopher Nolan fan. And yes, I do recognize that he is arguably one of the most overhyped directors of the modern era. His work is deeply flawed, et cetera, et cetera. I love a good Christopher Nolan film. Do the plots make sense? No. Is the character development good? Absolutely not. Does he know how to use brilliantly talented actors in his film? Uh Uh-uh. But I still enjoy his films. However, having said that, I just thought it was so ridiculous that they were rushing Tenet into the theaters during a fucking pandemic and like the Nolan fanboys couldn't sacrifice themselves fast enough to get in there to see a very average film. From what I've heard, very average film. And but then the Dune trailer comes out and I'm like, oh, my God, I am going to march up to AMC and be like, hello. I'm here to sacrifice myself for Denis Villeneuve's vision. Uh, It looks so good, guys. If you haven't seen Arrival, go watch Arrival. Denis, brilliant. He does sci-fi in a way that nobody else is doing right now. The cast of Dune is so fucking stacked. Here's my question. Is Jason Momoa going to be incredible in Dune? Because he's in the trailer for maybe five seconds. And I'm like, well, I would go to battle for this man. I would die for him. 
He just looks like, you know how in a very serious sci-fi film or series, the comedic relief is like so extra important? Maybe not even comedic relief, but like someone who's not just a little fucking sourpuss in every single scene and who is boisterous and lively. You're like, yes, that's my dude. I love that dude. That's who Jason Momoa is in Dune. And and I'm like, he looks incredible. He looks incredible. Because here's the thing. I know I was supposed to like him in Aquaman. Did I like him in Aquaman? No, because Aquaman was a bad fucking film. Don't come for me. It was bad. If you enjoyed it, it was because you were swept up in a summer blockbuster. That's a bad film. So I didn't really love Jason Momoa in Aquaman. And Caldrogo, Caldrogo, oh no. Caldrogo, oh boy. Caldrogo? in Game of Thrones, was a cool character and charismatic in his own way, but I wouldn't, I don't know. He wasn't like a light character. But Jason Momoa, if you've seen him in interviews and stuff, he's like a funny, likable dude. And it's like, when am I going to get to see that guy? And I feel like in Dune, he's closer to that. So he really stood out to me. Um, Of course, we love our twink prince, Timothy Chalamet. Looks great. Can we talk about how hot Oscar Isaac is? I mean, just, sir, because I know you listen to this podcast, just absolutely congratulations on getting hotter every time I see you. I don't know how you're doing it. You are, like, rapidly entering your silver fox phrase phase. Oh, my God. What is wrong with me today? Guys, I again, I haven't slept because my cat will kill me. Rapidly entering your silver fox phase, and I celebrate it. So congratulations. Everybody is just smoking hot. I mean, Zendaya, do I need to even say anything? Hello. You look phenomenal. I just, I think, uh, I don't know. I don't want to encourage people to be irresponsible. Movies are not important. Your health is your priority, I really want to see Dune in the theater. Is that bad? Guys, am I bad? I think I'm bad. Because, again, we know that... I forget what the exact percentage is, but when people are, you know, confirmed that they have COVID, usually it turns out that they have eaten at a restaurant or they've, like, been inside with some kind of air conditioning system, which is how this fucking thing spreads. And movie theaters are so bad for that. It's basically a place to go to get COVID. So I know I shouldn't go, but I miss going to the movies. I I know I'm being a brat. I know I'm being a brat right now, but it really hit me hard today. I was walking around. I accidentally went for a seven-mile hike this morning. That's been happening to me a lot. But I went for a walk through Brooklyn, and I was just looking at all of these closed restaurants, and I was like, I miss going out so badly and I know that's a petty thing and I know it's not important, but you know, being a human being, I really, really miss certain things and I miss going out to eat with friends, going to a bar with friends, going to movies. I miss that shit. So I don't know. This was the first trailer I've seen in a while that got me really, really hyped to go back to the movies. Cause like Tenet, I knew almost from the the jump that it was not going to be great. I don't know. Like, it just, it looked really derivative. I was like, okay, just go make the Inception sequel or prequel or whatever you want to do, Nolan. Why the fuck is Robert Pattinson blonde? You made another leading man look like you. It's so fucking weird. Stop doing that. I just wasn't really excited about it. But uh, this got me hyped. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. Anyway, guys, not important. Um, speaking of movies that you can see in a responsible way, have y'all seen, uh, I'm thinking of ending things on Netflix. Ooh, baby. Let me tell you, this is going to be a very, very divisive movie. And I don't think that's necessarily an interesting critique on my part because Charlie Kaufman is so oftentimes divisive with his work. Um, I loved it, but I will say as a huge caveat, uh, it is extremely my shit, which means it is an existential horror film 
Masquerading is a film about a relationship. Um, and it's super pretentious in a, a deliberate way that is critiquing pretentious people. Very navel-gazing. That's my shit. So I recognize that it might not have a mass market appeal, and I think it's fascinating that a Charlie Kaufman film is being released on Netflix, has been released on Netflix, arguably the most mass market uh, portal out there. So I will be very interested to hear how people who aren't familiar with Charlie Kaufman receive this movie, because I did not... And again, this movie is for people like me. I did not fully understand what this movie was about until I listened to maybe three podcasts dissecting the plot, including on one of those podcasts, they interviewed the author of the book and he was like, here's what actually happens in the book. And I was like, oh, I won't get into it here because it involves a lot of spoilers, but uh. Yeah, the film is not what you think it's actually about, is what I'll say. Having said that, the acting is amazing. The cast is phenomenal. The two uh, Jessies are our lead. Jesse Plemons, who you'll know from Friday Night Lights, uh, and Fargo, and Jesse Buckley are both incredible. They have these very, very long scenes together. Um, I think in total there's only like three or four scenes in this entire film or or maybe I should say three or four settings. It's very much like a play in that sense. Uh, it opens with like an eight, no, longer than that. Well, I'll say an eight minute long scene in a car where they're just driving and talking. It's that kind of film. Um Tony Collette's amazing because she's always fucking amazing. David Thewlis, like the cast is just phenomenal. The acting is superb. Again, maybe if you're in a relationship where things are sort of rocky right now, don't watch this movie in the same way you shouldn't have watched Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind uh, if you were in sort of a fucked up relationship. It is pure existential dread. Okay, if that's not your thing and you're like, Allison, it's 2020, that sounds like a waking nightmare. Why would I ever subject myself to that? Fair enough. Are you watching The Boys season two on Amazon? Now, here's the thing. I know how the idea of yet another superhero franchise with the name The Boys, no less, could turn you off potentially because it sounds like it's for 12-year-old boys. And in a sense, it is. It could operate, like like all great shows, it operates on two levels, right? The base level, which is if you like superhero shit, but you want to see like a more graphic version of it, like very violent, people are swearing <gasps> on television, uh, you'll enjoy it on that level. But then there's an elevated level of the boys where they're critiquing superhero culture, so that includes, like, what would superheroes actually be like in our modern society? How would the media treat them? How would they be used by capitalism? But in season two, it gets even deeper. The great Aya Cash is now in season two of The Boys. If you've ever seen, and this is another recommendation for me, You're the Worst, which I'm finishing right now. I had started it. I stepped away for a little bit, uh, and now I have returned to it. And man, it is a crime that Aya Cash has not won every single award for her portrayal of Gretchen and You're the Worst. But now she's in The Boys as well, and she is playing a character that, again, I can't get into too much without severely spoiling The Boys for you. But there is a critique of white lady feminism that is just. Mwah. magnifique that I don't think I've ever seen on television and the fact that it's happening on the boys is like come on it's so fucking good and uh listen Homelander is one of the scariest characters ever to appear on television fight me he's so scary every time he's on screen I don't know what the fuck he's gonna do it's really really well done I'm really enjoying it 
I was listening to a podcast that was like, yeah, it's good, but could you listen to Carl Urban do that accent for seven seasons? And I was like, frankly, yes, at least seven seasons. Let's fucking go. Because I love what they're doing right now. It's still such a sharp, funny show. Um, And I don't even mind that Jack Quaid is there representing um, nepotism in all his glory. Don't even mind it. Because he's actually very talented. And guess what? He's cute. So um, I know that makes me a hypocrite, but I'm sorry. I love the boys. So I recommended You're the Worst as well. They recently had their final season, I believe, season five. I think it was their final season. So I have a twofer for shows about um, terrible people. I'll say deeply flawed people that uh, are very funny and I've been enjoying a lot. So I'm almost done with You're the Worst. Highly recommended. And also Catastrophe with Rob Delaney is just a fucking delight. It's so good. I love the way it ended. And yeah, I finished that as well. And those two are, I haven't watched something that made me laugh out loud in a long time because I I don't really like laugh out loud. If I, If something's funny, I'm like, huh, that's funny. You know, maybe that's just from being around funny people a lot and seeing a lot of comedy. I just, it's, it's, I have a high threshold for stuff that makes me laugh out loud catastrophe and you're the worst multiple times just so loud (laughs) laughing out loud uh so yeah highly recommended as always if you guys have any recommendations the quickest way to reach me unfortunately is always on twitter hashtag light trees and pod but also if you're a patreon supporter of mine patreon.com slash allison kilkenny I recently posted over there for my supporters. You can send questions, comments, concerns, recommendations to the show. I'll read them on Light Trees and News. And yeah, you can post your recommendations over there in the comments section. You can message me on Patreon. I prefer if you just put them in the comments section because it's easier for me to stay organized. But personal preference up to you you can also email the show lighttreesandnews at gmail.com and uh, as always if it causes you any kind of financial hardship I never want you to support the show continue to listen for free however if you're in a position where you're like I could kick Allison five dollars a month lighttreason.news you can smash the donate button or patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny if you want to hear those bonus episodes. Up to you, however you want to do it. I appreciate the support so much, especially uh, now, you guys, because shit is wild for everyone. Am I right? But uh, I guess we can take comfort in that, right? Because it's happening to everybody and we're all in it together for the most part, right? I'm trying to be positive, guys, because we're right now... Right this second, we're going into the bad news section. I'm sorry. Here's your bad news. All right. So I guess we got to talk about this story because the 19th anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks just went down that's how you say that right it just went down uh and to coincide with again almost the 20th anniversary of the september 11th attacks which is so fucking wild um i'm not gonna bore you by saying where i was when it happened because everybody tells that story and it's like who gives a shit um but i just can't believe it's almost been 20 years crazy right So a new report has come out accusing the Trump administration of siphoning almost $4 million away from a fund supporting the 9-11 first responders. Oh, really? Okay. So apparently the Treasury Department began withholding parts of payments intended to cover medical services for firefighters, paramedics, and emergency medical technicians suffering 9-11 related illnesses, according to documents obtained by the New York Daily News. 
These first responders who inhaled smoke and dust at Ground Zero in the aftermath of the terrorist attack, which killed almost 3,000 Americans, have suffered illnesses including cancers and systemic autoimmune diseases, including rheumatoid arthritis and lupus, in the almost two decades since. So, and apparently, I've read other reports that this was because they, the Treasury Department was having disagreements about Medicaid, so they chose to, like, make up uh, the money by siphoning from this fund and punishing the FDNY, the, the Fire Depart- Department of New York. So it started, apparently, um, where they were siphoning half a million dollars each year in 2016 and 2017. So it's been going on a while. And $630,000 each year in 2018 and 2019, so they started taking more money. And then the Treasury nearly tripled these extractions this year, withholding almost $1.5 million through late August, according to the program's director, Dr. Present. Again, I know we live in separate realms of reality at this point, and this is why our society is falling apart, one of one of many reasons, because you can't have a society without a, a shared base of reality. So I know like the people who watch Fox News aren't even seeing this story, or if they're seeing this story, it's been highly manipulated probably to somehow blame, I don't know, Nancy Pelosi and Chrissy Teigen off the top of my head um, for 9-11 first responders not getting medical assistance. But let's just, let's just say somehow this story did get through to Republicans. How do you rationalize <laughs> This treatment of 9-11 first responders. Because again, remember, after 9-11, everybody in the country briefly loved New York. Usually y'all hate us. But right after the (laughs) 9-11 attacks, suddenly everybody was a New Yorker, right? Y'all loved us. How do you rationalize it? How do you say this is good or just or morally correct? I don't know. I know they do it. I'm just in awe of their ability to do it. So, oh, yeah. God damn it. I wanted to talk about this in the the pop culture section because (laughs) I was being a coward and I didn't know where to put it. I was like, is this good news? Is this bad news? And usually if I'm ever torn about a story that has to do with the entertainment industry and I'm like, where do I put it? Good news or bad news? I'll put it in the pop culture section because it kind of absolves me of having to decide. (laughs) Is this good news or bad news? I'm going to put it in the bad news section. Here's why. I'm being forced to justify it right now. This is about the Oscars new diversity standards. And I'm going to put it in the bad news section because I don't think it goes far enough. Obviously, it doesn't go far enough. And also, it reduces a a diversity initiative to a checklist, which weirdly plays into the Republican fantasy of, like, race quotas. Because that's what they always think of when they hear about, like, affirmative action or diversity programs or, like, So you're going to have a list that says, like, need three Asian Americans, need three African Americans, need three LGBTQIA plus check. This is sort of what the new Oscar (laughs) diversity initiative does. So if you haven't seen it, the Academy Awards or the Oscars came out with this new diversity uh, initiative where... It's meant to take effect by the 96th Oscars in 2024. And these new guidelines will require films to meet two of four diversity standards to be eligible for a Best Picture nomination. And this is supposed to help prevent what happened the year that uh, Oscars so white that hashtag was going around. April Rain started it on Twitter uh, because 
a second group of all white actors was nominated for I think best actor I forget what the category was but yet another year where every single actor who was nominated was white so but here's the thing once you read the standards it becomes immediately clear that it would be so incredibly easy to clear these requirements to the point where almost every film, including a film like Green Book, would easily clear this. So again, you have to meet uh, two of four of these standards. So uh, the first set of stipulations grouped as standard A has already earned the most attention and with good reason. It's meant to encourage diversity in front of the camera for an industry that still defaults to white actors. So to satisfy the demands of standard A, only one of these three criteria need to be met. Okay, so you only need one of these. At least one actor from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group must be cast in a significant role. Okay. The story must center on women, LGBTQ people, a racial or ethnic group, or the disabled. Or at least 30% of the cast must be actors from at least two of those four underrepresented categories. Okay, so an emphasis on the latter two criteria would radically change the stories that are greenlit and the people who appear in them. But the first criterion, which mandates that at least one of the lead actors or significant supporting actors is from an uh, underrepresented racial or ethnic group, will prove very easy for most films to satisfy. So like, for example, and I should mention I'm reading from the New York Times, Kyle Buchanan wrote this piece. So for example, recent Best Picture nominees like Joker, which is very top heavy with white stars, but Zazie Beetz is in it as a love interest, if you can call her that, in a very supporting role, or like La La Land, white-led love story, but John Legend is in a supporting role, that would clear the standard. So it's not like this is going to radically change Hollywood. But what was interesting about when these standards came out, oh, and then there's another standard, standard B, that's even more ridiculous. Um, Like you could literally have a gay publicist and say we're diverse enough. So that's even like more insulting. But, um, yeah, the point is that these standards came out and people were still losing their mind. So, like, James Woods, who's a lunatic, but he was on Twitter and he's like, this is going to be detrimental to the arts, blah, blah, blah. It's simultaneously, like, a critique of something that should be critiqued, but in the dumbest possible way that doesn't get to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is this should be critiqued because it's a checklist that doesn't actually encourage diversity. There are all sorts of roadblocks in the way of people of color, of LGBT plus people in the industry, but something like this won't fix it. You know, something like this is nodding without fixing systemic problems. Like, there's an issue in writers' rooms, if you're a black writer, where it's almost impossible to become a head writer because you become too expensive, because there are so few writers of color in the industry that you almost price yourself out the more successful you become. That's insane. (laughs) That's totally insane, and it's the way it works. So, like, something like this won't fix that. Like, the way the industry is set up, there's just so many roadblocks like that. Anyway, uh, we have to move on. I just wanted to talk about that. So let's talk about these fucking fires, you guys. The New York Times reported this morning, Saturday, that 17 people are dead. Dozens are missing in the vast western wildfires in uh, Oregon, California, Washington, Um The photos are just totally surreal. I'm sure you've all seen them of the red skies in these states. 
hundreds of thousands of people have been forced to flee their homes, mass evacuations. Governor Gavin Newsom of California um, fears that the, the body count is going to be way higher. Um, he said this is something we've never seen in our lifetime. I mean, sadly, how many times have we heard people say that about climate change and catastrophic climate events like this? The reality is that people will keep having to flee. And after a while, where will they go? And not just fires. I'm talking about here in New York City as well. Like, Sandy wasn't that long ago. Like, this land will be uninhabitable soon. And millions of people will become climate refugees. And what the fuck happens then? You know, um, it's going to keep happening. And it's going to keep getting worse. And I'm allowed to say shit like that in the bad news section, you guys. One element of this story that I was just like, man, we are such a broken fucking society. So these huge fires are happening in multiple states. Oregon, the the fires are very, very severe. And at a time like this, it would have really helped to have more helicopters that could dump water and other kind of... Um, extinguishing chemicals onto the fires. But guess what? Uh-oh, we have a shortage of those types of helicopters like Blackhawks and CH-47 Chinooks uh, because those helicopters were deployed to Afghanistan. Dun, 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 dun. We're broken. <laughs> so, yeah, the National Guard was like, sorry, guys. Um, all of those helicopters we would have deployed to help put out these fires are in Afghanistan because we had to go murder brown people. Sorry, America has its priorities, and our priorities are you burned to death for an unjust war. All right, this last story isn't hugely surprising, but it's still like, damn, the level of corruption. So Politico reported on Friday that a politically appointed health and human services official with no medical background has been orchestrating an operation to pressure scientists and other officials of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to use sunnier language in their COVID reports to reflect well on Trump. Some emails from the health department's communications team viewed by Politico to CDC director Robert Redfield and other senior officials flatly complained that the agency's reports would undermine Trump's optimistic messages about COVID. One email said that the CDC appears to be writing hit pieces on the administration. That's right. Science and facts are now hit pieces against the administration because facts are the enemy of the Trump administration because the Trump administration is so fucking inept and corrupt and evil and will by the end of this have gotten hundreds of thousands of people in this country killed that now facts are their enemy. Okay, sure. Facts are the enemy. Up is down. Left is right etc etc this is what i mean about inhabiting two separate realms of reality and what hope is there of reconciling when we just have separate facts well i shouldn't say separate facts we have the facts and they have whatever delusion whatever that side of the political spectrum is now conspiracy theories lunacy total madness Guys, that was a lot of bad news. Let's end things on a good note. Here's your good news. All right, so I'm choosing to put this story in the good news section because there are several aspects of it that do make me laugh, even though ultimately it's a story about 
corruption and um, an evil fascist narcissist. I'm talking about Trump, obviously. But the story about him sitting down for 18 interviews with Bob Woodward makes me laugh so hard because, guys, he was just so excited. He was so flattered and so happy because he's an idiot and he... um, I guess doesn't know who Bob Woodward is. And listen, I'm not one of those people who paints Bob Woodward as like the end all be all of journalism, but you have to know what he does, right? Like he might not write the most flattering portrait of you. 18 interviews. And at some point he realizes it's not going well. And he's like, listen, like there's a hard turn at one point where he's like, I don't want you to make me look dumb or corrupt, and it's like that's literally all that he's been doing for 18 interviews. So all of these, like, anti-Trump books are coming out right now, Uh, some of them written by people who used to be very cozy with the administration, Michael Cohen, obviously, Melania's dumb friend has one coming out, and it's like, listen, you're all a bunch of collaborators. (laughs) Y'all suck. Y'all should go down with the ship. I don't give a shit about any of you. I don't feel sorry about it. I don't feel sorry for any of you collaborators, every single one of you, right? But it is interesting to get insight from, like, the hornet's nest, right? So Bob Woodward's book is Rage, and that's the name of it. It's called Rage. Um, And there were a few interesting revelations that came out during these interviews and probably the one that got the most attention or should have gotten the most attention is that Trump minimized the risks of the coronavirus to the American public early in the year. Uh, In the interviews, he makes it very clear that he knows the virus is deadly. It's passed through the air. It's way more deadly than the flu virus. Like he knew all of this and he's really emphasizing it to Woodward where he's like, it's bad. It's bad. And he says, I wanted to play it down. I still like playing it down because I don't want to create a panic. That's how he justified it in his head. Really, it was that it would make the administration look bad. Um, And he said at one point in March, just today and yesterday, some startling facts came out. It's not just old, older, young people too. Plenty of young people. Like, absolutely the opposite of what he was saying in public he called it like the flu in public he said it was only affecting older people like all of that shit he was lying he's a fucking liar um again not surprising but pretty amazing at a time when we were clearing like 190,000 deaths something like that from the coronavirus to hear the president why he's just a fucking liar (laughs) and again it won't matter to his base anytime something like this comes out there's always these optimists on twitter who are like surely this will be the thing that turns the tides and people will finally turn against him and it's like it's never going to happen you have to understand something trump supporters are in a death cult herman cain died for this cult he uh, was high risk and he went to the Tulsa rally. He didn't wear a mask. He got COVID and he fucking died. And everybody knew that was a possibility, (laughs) but this is a death cult. Uh, And they will die for these beliefs because Trump has somehow become to symbolize America to them. So they have to defend Trump because they're defending America. It's wild. Shit is wild. So some other revelations from this interview, two of the president's top officials thought he was dangerous and considered speaking out publicly. Thank you for considering speaking out publicly and ultimately not doing it. What a hero. What a hero. General Jim Mattis, Trump's former defense secretary, is quoted describing Trump as dangerous and unfit. Okay. Great, great that we uh, said that privately. So also, Trump repeatedly denigrated the U.S. military and his top generals. Yeah, he fucking hates the military uh, because they symbolize everything he knows he's not. 
that's not me being like rah rah America. That's just Trump embodies toxic masculinity, and in his mind, the the army and the military is very strong, masculine. He's a draft dodger. He knows deep in his heart he's a coward. He hates them. Uh, and not in like a productive way that would like lead to peace or anything, just in his own small, insecure way. So when asked about the pain black people feel in this country, Trump was unable to express empathy. It actually went a little further than that. Uh, Woodward, <laughs> very bravely, was sort of asking Trump about white privilege. And he's like, yeah, you and I are, he was like trying, can you imagine this? He was trying to explain white privilege to Trump. And he's like, yeah, you and I, we're both white guys, we're both privileged, we grew up with privilege. <laughs> And uh, as such, we, we don't understand what black people are going through, blah, blah, blah. And then Trump really ridiculed him and made fun of him and was like, you really drank the Kool-Aid, didn't you? Just listen to you. Wow. No, I don't feel that at all. So basically being like, you know, listen up, liberal, you snowflake. I know those blacks got to you and brainwashed you, but no, we don't have privilege. I'm totally here on my own merits. <laughs> One of the dumbest men who's ever lived. I deserve to be president. Okay. Um, so also, oh yeah, he would regain insight into Trump's relationships with the leaders of North Korea and Russia. He got access to these very weird letters between Kim Jong-un the North Korean leader, and Trump that he describes as being almost like love letters where, like, Kim Jong-un is describing how excited he was that he got to, like, hold Trump's hand uh, when they first met. So, like, two fascists just really getting along. Uh, and then Trump complained about the investigations into uh, the ties between his campaign and Russia saying they were affecting his abilities as president. Yeah, you know, when you commit treason, it might impede your uh, ability to be president. That is just reality. So uh, nevertheless, put that in the good news section because it's embarrassing for the Trump administration. And I just thought it was so funny that he was surprised after sitting down 18 times with Bob Woodward and talking way too much that Bob Woodward reported unflattering things about him. This is a man who can't go two minutes without a gaffe of some kind. And he sat down for 18 interviews and he was like, what? He said, what? It's like, you just told him that you knew the pandemic was worse than you were saying publicly. Yeah, things are not going to go great for you, you fucking idiot. The dumbest man who's ever lived. Anyway. And we had George W. Bush as president, and I'm saying that. They just keep getting dumber and dumber. Okay, I also wanted to shout out the NFL players who took the opportunity uh, to kneel to protest during a game between the Houston Texans and... The Chiefs, it was the first game of the year, so a lot of people were watching it, even though, obviously, there's not a lot of people in the stadium. They have to do, like, a percentage quota, so it can't be full. But the stadium played the Star Spangled Banner and then Lift Every Voice and Sing, which is known as the Black National Anthem. Um, and... Yeah, as I said, a lot of pro or a lot of uh, players, um, they linked arms. I know at least one player kneeled. Chloe and Hale sang the national anthem. They're the uh, the two young women who were signed by Beyonce. I think is what they're <laughs> best known for. Um, and they were both wearing uh, Brianna uh, Taylor and George Floyd shirts to commemorate those two uh police killing victims and yeah it was it was very cool to see nfl players and artists using their platform for black lives matter and to protest the police and then i i didn't watch it live but i saw on twitter 
So at one point, I, I believe the, uh, the chiefs linked arms to show solidarity, and the people who were in the stadium booed. So that's America. Uh, anytime anyone feels confident about the uh, presidential election, I just encourage them to like maybe leave your city wherever you live right now. I'm guessing it's a very liberal city. And just maybe travel and talk to people or watch um, an NFL game like this and just see what happens when the players try to protest police violence. And then people fucking boo them uh, because... I know we like to think that the country always moves towards progress, but um, it's not always the case. Sometimes there are periods of setbacks, and sometimes people's entire adult lives can occur within the setback period. So, oh, sorry, I forgot we're in the good news section. My bad. Uh, I also wanted to shout out... Uh, a hopeful note, a young person who should be giving everyone hope right now, uh, Naomi Osaka, who I always forget how young she is. She's 22 goddamn years old, professional tennis player, internationally famous because she's incredibly good. In 2018, she beat Serena Williams. I'll say that again. She beat Serena Williams in the final of the U.S. Open. A huge upset. Uh, and Serena was very, very gracious in defeat. And a lot of people were saying that, like, Serena wasn't on her game. Naomi just got lucky. Serena shut that shit down. And she said she's a very talented player and she beat me fairly. Um, so Naomi Osaka, who literally has to do nothing, has been wearing face masks during her games with the names of police killing victims. So uh, most recently, I think she she wore Ahmed Arbery, but she's also worn Breonna Taylor. She's worn her name. And uh, yeah, she just keeps wearing new masks each time with the name of a black person who was killed at the hands of police officers or civilians. And again, she's 22 years old. I was When I read this story, I was trying to remember what I was doing when I was 22 years old. And I couldn't remember, but I bet I was drunk. And I bet I was not doing something productive politically like this. And if you just think about how much she stands to lose with sponsorships, how much backlash she's probably getting, because again, she's a professional tennis player, tennis player, tennis player, very white sport, a lot of white people watching you, maybe not thinking very nice things about you. Um... Oh, I don't know if you guys heard that. Somebody's on the kitchen counter knocking shit off the ledge. And I'm going to give you three guesses who that somebody is. It's Penny. She's pissed off. I don't know if I'm safe in this apartment, you guys. And I know we're in the good news section. I know I'm not supposed to share negative vibes in the good news section. I'm a little afraid. I'm a little afraid right now. So anyway, back to Naomi. Uh, I just think it's so cool and so inspiring that a young person like her is using her privilege and her platform to speak out in this way. It's also very cool because I think like we've gotten sort of accustomed to seeing the NBA, the NFL players protesting. I mean, as brave and as cool as that is. But really, this has this is like new to some sports, professional racing, um, baseball, it's still pretty rare to see baseball players protest. Tennis, I mean, other than Naomi Osaka, I really can't name anybody. I know Serena has said stuff, obviously the Williams sisters, but like, where are the white players at? Maybe, maybe I've missed something. Maybe it is happening, but right now it seems to entirely be the burden of people of color who happen to play tennis to say something within that sport. But anyway, shout out to Naomi. You're a badass. Um, oh, and then this story just really made me laugh. <laughs> Nothing makes me happier, you guys, than Republicans who don't listen to the lyrics of songs that they play during their rallies and at, like, political events. Because it's just like a song that they grew up hearing in the background, and they're like, this got a good hook to it. 
and they're incapable of deep thought. So they're just like, I don't understand art. Everything is surface level. I don't know what a metaphor is. And they don't understand that sometimes they're playing songs that critique the very policies <laughs> that they're promoting. So the most recent example of this, I probably the most famous example, and the Republicans always do this, is they play Born in the USA at rallies. Guys, that song is one of the most scathing indictments of America. They don't understand that the lyrics don't support them, or they don't care, either way. So the most recent example of this happened Thursday evening. An estimated 5,500 people packed into a Freeland, Michigan aircraft hangar to see Trump in the flesh during a pandemic. So he's coming off of Air Force One, and Fortunate Son by Credence Clearwater Revival started blaring on the rally speakers. And the reporters there immediately were like, LOL, uh, this song is such a, it's hilariously inappropriate to be playing during a Trump rally. Um, so in case you don't know the backstory of Fortunate Son, it came out in 1969, quickly became a cultural touchstone of an era riven with conflict over the Vietnam War. The song addresses the class divide that allows the sons of the rich and powerful and well-connected to avoid the draft and the so-called patriots in charge of the war effort who exacerbated the carnage. It even eviscerates the wealthy who cheat on their taxes. <laughs> there is no subtlety to its message, no clever euphemisms, no secret codes, just for those in the counterculture or the anti-war movement, its lyrics are simple and cutting, especially the chorus, <clears throat> it ain't me, it ain't me, I ain't no millionaire's son. No, no, it ain't me, it ain't me, I ain't no fortunate one. No. So, obviously, Trump is, of course, the very person born with a silver spoon in hand that the song derides. Trump inherited money from his wealthy father. Uh, it's been suggested he's a draft dodger. He is a draft dodger. It hasn't been suggested. He is one. Bone spurs come off it. Uh, so, yeah, in every way, a hilarious choice by the Trump administration, by Trump. Listen, I know these people aren't smart, but you think they'd put, like, the bare minimum thought into a choice like that? Like, hey, should we play the song about how rich people's kids never go to war and they're all draft dodgers? Because, you know, Trump's a, a rich guy's kid. He's rich, too. And he's a draft dodger. Should we? Is that too on the nose? I feel like people on Twitter will notice and then make fun of us immediately. I don't want to be a meme. I'm having a bad day. You think at some point someone would be like, can we pick any other song? Literally any other song, any other song, any other song. Just go on Spotify and find a random song and play that. That's better than the one we just picked, Fortunate Son? Come on. Just play Born in the USA. That would have been better. Guys, that's enough for today. If you're a fan of the show, if you want to keep us going, um, all of your support goes towards keeping the show going, paying co-hosts, all of that stuff. Lighttreason.news, smash that donate button. If you're like, Allison, it's a friggin' pandemic and I need more goddamn content. And you want to hear Charles and I rank the our, our favorite top internet conspiracy theories, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. For as little as $5 a month, you get all of the bonus shit over there. So much content, you'll be like, damn, that's too much content. And I agree. Um, and as always, thanks for all the support, you guys. Man, what a wild time, right? And uh, you keep supporting the show. That's so magical. Um, and then, yeah, if you want to send any questions or recommendations, head over to my Patreon and do that. I love hearing from you guys. 
Um, even if you want to share like good news that's happening in your lives as well. I love hearing about that shit. Guys, thanks so much for listening. And while you're at it, stay inside and cause a little trouble.